Who let you in here? I know, I know right? right? This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Hired.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and prefund your paycheck. They offer legal, accounting, and tax support. And they'll give you $1,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $2,000 instead. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Freelancer Show. This week's episode of The Freelancer Show is brought to you by Earth Class Mail. Earth Class Mail moves your stale mail into the cloud, giving you instant access 24-7 and integrates with the tools and services you use every day. It's crazy that we've moved everything we do for the business over to the digital world, but still need to pick up, sort, and manage physical mail. With Earth Class Mail, you can get all of your mail scanned and accessible online 24-7. You can search your mail, send invoices over to your accounting software, sync important documents into cloud storage, deposit checks, and really just make running your business a whole lot easier. You also get real professional address to share publicly with customers, business partners, and investors. And you'll never need to worry about someone showing up at your door if you run your business from home. Now, I've checked out Earth Class Mail, and I think it's a brilliant solution that's perfect for businesses and independent entrepreneurs of all types. Visit freelancershow.com slash mail, and you'll get your first month of service free when you sign up. That's freelancershow.com slash mail. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 204 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Philip Morgan. Howdy. Ruben Lerner. Hi, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest. That's Kai Davis. Hey, folks. Glad to be here. Now, Kai, you've been on the show before, but do you want to give people a brief introduction? Absolutely. So uh, my name is Kai Davis. I'm in beautiful Eugene, Oregon. I'm an outreach consultant, which means I help my clients, my colleagues, and my students better manage their most valuable relationships and build new ones. And uh, today I'm going to be chatting about podcast outreach and how you could benefit by being a podcast guest to reach new audiences. You also need to take up wardrobe consulting. (laughs) <laughs> my microconf suit I, I will link to it into the show notes was a uh, much the talk of the event uh i am so tempted to get something like that and wear it to like <laughs> podcast movement or something I, I'm, I'm gonna have to use one of my picks early uh opposuits.com it's where my suit was from uh dear listener please check out their suits they are glorious there's no word we can <laughs> use but glorious for them i don't know what you guys are talking about but in college i got an orange Air Force jumpsuit from a yard sale and wore that for a couple of weeks. Is that sort of what you did, Kai? <laughs> no, I, I, I have so website many right now. Oh my god! Oh my god! I, I I still don't know if I use the word glorious and suit in the same <laughs> sentence. However, <laughs> however, this website does make me. I mean, I and I wouldn't wear any of these, but it's definitely different. Interesting. <laughs> Different is a good word. Different, right. different is a reasonable word to use. Uh, for, for the, because the podcast does not feature visual images at this point, we'll have to describe the suits to the listeners. That's okay. Some of them are driving and they might crash. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very loud, very co- colorful, very bold suits is uh, how I'd phrase it. Very yeah, nice. that's, that's, a, that's a good way to, to put it. Yeah. All right. Well, we did bring you on to talk about uh, specifically guesting on podcasts, and you have this idea <laughs> of a podcast tour. Now, I know after this episode, we're going to get a whole bunch of emails from people, right? Because they're going to read your book and they're going to do what it says. But I'm curious, do you have many people that have gone on a podcast tour and had it work out for them? I mean, Before we get into the how, I'm kind of interested in the why. What kind of results do you expect from something like this? 
Absolutely. So I have a number of colleagues and students and clients who have gone on podcast tours. And a podcast tour for the listener is just proactively identifying a list of podcasts that reach your dream buyers, reach your target industry or target market, building a relationship with those podcast hosts and saying, well, hey, I could teach your audience something new. Would you like me to come on and, you know, we could do an episode together. And a tour is basically stringing a number of podcast appearances together to promote a product or promote a service or promote a launch and uh, reach a large swath of your target market at the same time. And I've had a number of successful results, both personally and with clients and colleagues and students where they had success both on the outreach portion. People often feel like, ah, it's so hard to pitch. How do I get on a podcast? And I've had friends who've literally sent one email, got a response back, and they're like, we'd love to have you on. How about next Tuesday? And they're like, it it was that easy? In terms of the outcomes, I've seen clients and colleagues get hundreds of email subscribers off of a single podcast appearance. And those podcast subscribers or those subscribers from the podcast are some of the most engaged people on their list. They're the people that open 90% of the emails. They're the people that click through. They're the people who have said, wow, I really love what you talked about on the episode. I really want to read your material. I really want to buy your book. So I think podcast tours and podcast outreach are a huge success in terms of making yourself well known among the industry and also attracting the people who are most invested, the best buyers or dream buyers for your product or service who will buy more, buy more often, buy at a higher price and be more engaged with the content you're sharing. Now, just to give an example of this, I am part of a group of men that uh, work with Aaron Walker. Uh, he's an entrepreneur out of Nashville. He was in a mastermind group with Dave Ramsey and Dan Miller. He decided that he was going to do a podcast tour. Now, I'm pretty sure he hasn't seen or read your book, but effectively what he did is he his uh, assistant or business leader, whatever whatever his job title is, Tom, reached out and went way out of his way to get Aaron on as basically as many podcasts as he could. And over the course of last year, he appeared on over a hundred podcast episodes. Wow. And his audience grew a ton. I, I mean, thousands and thousands of people on his mailing list, joining his paid community, joining his online mastermind groups, you know, it, it was very, very successful for him. Now, if you figure that he did, a, it was a hundred or so. It was, it was definitely less than 150. But if you do the math, I mean, that's a podcast episode at least every three days. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't mm-hmm. actually have his own podcast. So he was just showing up and, you know, talking about, you know, the things that he does. Uh, one of the podcasts, if you listen to uh, John Lee Dumas, Entrepreneur on Fire, that was one of them. Uh, he's also been on uh, Jamie Tardy's Eventual Millionaire and a bunch of others. But he got on big podcasts and small podcasts. And from what I understand, you know, obviously John Lee Dumas' audience and, you know, Jamie Tardy's audience responded very well. And he got a lot of traction out of that. But some of the smaller podcasts he got quite a bit of traction out of, too, because his message matched what the audience needed. Entirely. And that's one of the things that I really advocate to people. When people start thinking about doing a podcast tour, just appearing on podcasts, they're like, I want to be an entrepreneur on fire. I want to be on Mixergy. I want to be on like these big name podcasts. And I'm like, well, that's great. There's 10,000 other people fighting for those slots. If you get accepted, it's going to be, you know, a multi-month wait. Plus, with a large audience like that, well, how many of them are going to be the people you actually want to reach? Like if I'm trying to reach an audience of, let's say, technical consultants, sure, being an entrepreneur on fire, that's going to give me massive, massive reach. But 
what percentage of those listeners are going to be the ideal listener for me? I actually really advocate finding those small to medium-sized podcasts with a niche audience and then focusing on those because it'll be dramatically easier to get booked on there. And while the audience might be a tenth or a hundredth the size of Entrepreneur on Fire, it's going to be listeners who are much more in that target market you're trying to reach and much more receptive to a message. I think there's a distinction you can make between a listenership that a large podcast has and an audience that a smaller podcast podcast has. And I like finding podcasts with audiences that are very much enfranchised and interested in the material being shared. I can also tell you that, you know, you talked about the small to medium ones being easier to get on. I listened to John. I've actually met John Lee Dumas a couple of times. I listened to a lot of what he puts out there. And he has stated on more than one occasion that he gives preference to the people who come to him through people he already knows. Mm-hmm. And so I can tell you that, yeah, unless you have some way of standing out, you kind of get piled with everybody else and they'll get to you eventually, hopefully, but you know, there's no guarantee. But if you get referred by one of their bigger name guests that have done good things for them, you're much more likely to get in. And the other thing is, is yeah, with the smaller shows, if you can address a problem that they know that their listeners have, then they're definitely going to get you on. They're going to mm-hmm. make it a priority to get you on. And because they don't have as many people knocking on the door to try and get in, then, yeah, you, you have a better chance. I do have a question in this, though, because the cold emails, right? I mean, how well do they work? I get them all the time. And it's from people, and it's, it's hi, my name is Joe, and I represent Jim Big Boss the Man, and he he wants to come on your show and talk to your audience. And here's a, here's a link to our product. You should get him on. And that goes straight to my trash. Oh, I, so, I hate those emails so much. So, so how do you not do that? So what I found is there's two different classifications of outreach emails. There's the low quality emails like we just shared where you're basically talking about yourself. This is my product. This is me. You should have me on. And there's nothing interesting or attractive to the podcast host. What I advocate is flipping it around and trying to frame every outreach email in terms of the value we'll be delivering to the podcast or to the podcast host's audience. So in that example, it might be like, hey, Chuck, I know that you have a popular podcast about uh, iOS development. I'm an experienced iOS developer. I'd love to teach your audience how to learn some new things about iOS development. Here are three things that I could teach them. Which one would be most interesting for your audience? So from the get-go, we're framing everything in terms of the value to the audience instead of the value to us. And we're making it so it's much more enticing to the podcast host. Instead of just saying like, hey, I'm me, please have me on. We're saying like, hey, your audience likes this type of topic. I'd love to teach them something new about that topic. Here are a few options. Which one would you be most interested in? So as the podcast host, you don't have to start thinking about, oh, is this a person I could trust or not? How do I move forward with it? You know right off the bat. I think what Kai's saying is is totally accurate. I mean, I reached out to a few podcasts probably like six months ago saying that I was interested in Beyond, and, and I, I didn't really have a good focus there. So I reached out to someone that said, I'd like to talk to you about Python, because I teach a lot of it. And mm-hmm. that was like, okay, no, people weren't so excited about that. But when I 
talk to people about, I want to talk to you about what it's like to teach or to learn or what, you know, teaching and learning strategies there can be. That was suddenly a different angle that made things stand out. And some of the podcasts said, no, this is not of interest to us. And some of them said, oh, this is definitely of interest to us. But they were able to react and react. And they were interested in reacting. They weren't interested in throwing me in the trash or my email in the trash because at least I was demonstrating some familiarity with their audience and what their audience thought about it. I, I was surprised by how much of a difference it made. But in retrospect, it I shouldn't have been. Well, oh, yeah. that's the thing, right, is that I don't know what I want. So I just did a survey for the audience. If you want to take the survey, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But uh, I just did a survey for the audience. And so I'm starting to get an idea as I go through the uh, survey entries. I'm going to go through them in depth next week. But it's going to be, okay, I see that people want this. You know, they're struggling with X. And so if somebody comes along and sends me an email and says, I can talk about X, then that's a different thing. And yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. The other thing that I, I tell people is that when they go out there and they want to start freelancing or start a business, they have to realize that people aren't looking at their product saying, I want that product. What they're doing is they're looking at that product and they're saying, I want that outcome. Mm -hmm. So for example, let's take a chair. So I go to the furniture show and I'm looking at chairs. I'm looking at recliners in particular. I'm not looking for a recliner because I want a recliner to sit on. I'm looking for a recliner because gee, it's going to be really nice to watch TV sitting on that thing. And that's kind of what you have to sell is, okay, you know, you probably have audience members who are struggling with testing JavaScript. I know that's one of the key things that I'm seeing in this survey already, just skimming it. So if somebody came to me and said, hey, I've got these things about, in fact, I got one of these incidentally, but I got, you know, I've got these things about testing JavaScript and I have these particular techniques that people don't really use that really pay off. I mean, that's a different story than emailing me and saying, hey, I'm a JavaScript developer and I want to come on JavaScript Jabber. Exactly. Yeah. In that second example there, there's nothing of value for the host. And I feel like it puts the, all the work on you. Suddenly you have to go out and Google this person and find like, oh, they wrote a couple of interesting articles. And now you're 30 minutes down the rabbit hole of researching this person to what benefit? It, you it, want to know the dirty secret? I used to do that. I don't do that anymore. I just, exactly. I just junk it. I don't have time. Mm -hmm. And that's the truth. Podcast hosts, anybody who's building an audience or running a podcast is a busy person. And so I've seen response rates at around 70% and placement rates at around 40% for getting people onto podcasts. And I credit that entirely to taking as much work off of the host's side as possible. So in my initial outreach email, and we could share the template in the show notes, I'll break it down and say like, hey, here are three topics I could talk to your audience about. You know, headline, one sentence description. Headline two, one sentence description. And I'll make it as easy as saying, if you're interested in having me on, just respond back with which number of topic one, two, or three you want. Mm -hmm. And we can figure out all the details after that. So if the podcast host is like, oh yeah, I'd love to have this person on to talk about, you know, this JavaScript technique or how to be a better podcast guest. Cool. One, enter, done. And now you're able to move that forward. There's no work that you need to do since the burden has been put on the person pitching you as it should be, I say. So my question that I was trying to ask over Reuven's question uh, <laughs> <laughs> was basically how much work do you have to do before you send this along? So, for example, let's say that I'm saying, okay, well, I can talk about how new programmers can find a job, or I can talk about testing JavaScript, or I can talk about building applications in Ruby on, Ra on Rails, or, you know, some aspect of that, right? Uh, building APIs, JSON APIs in Ruby on Rails. Do I need to have a whole bunch of stuff prepared for that? And the other thing is, is how do I pick those things? So, for example... 
I may have a product on one of them, or I may have a product on two or three of them. You know, do I pick those because I have a product I'm trying to promote, or do I pick those because, you know, assuming that they're a good fit for the podcast audience, but do, do I pick them for that, or do I pick them because I get people on my email list? I mean, what's kind of the whole point of this? I think the whole point, so big picture, the whole point is to present an interesting and compelling story that leaves some portion of the audience saying, I want to learn more about this. And at the end of the interview, you're able to share the call to action URL, a link that to go to uh, a landing page where they could sign up and get more information or get a worksheet or a bonus or something. But the whole point is tell an interesting enough story that some people say like, I want to learn more about this. I'm willing to invest the 30 seconds in typing in my email address to get some bonus and join the uh, podcast guest email list or get more information from them. In terms of what topics to pick, I recommend a strategy of looking at three separate areas. Two topics from your area of expertise, which you could teach, two common problems that you could teach your audience how to solve, and two unconventional opinions that you have that go against the grain of your industry. And when you pitch a podcast, pick one from each category. I like that. So the question I was going to ask on top of uh, Chuck's question, I guess, was <laughs> do you have any kind of procedure for sort of understanding the audience of a podcast? Because that seems to be a big key here is only pitching or primarily pitching your podcast guesting services to, to audiences where they're likely to be buyers. Is there some simple, easy way to kind of get a handle on what kind of people might be in the audience of Podcast X? That's really a million-dollar question. There's a few tactics I found that help refine it down, but the short answer is there's always going to be some number of pitches you make where they respond back and they're like, oh, you know, we, we actually approach entrepreneurship in a different angle or we're not quite that type of show. Uh, we're not going to be a good fit. And those sort of no's are fine because it closes the door and lets you focus on the potential yeses. But to maximize the number of potential yeses, what I like doing is when I identify a podcast, let's say the freelancer show. I will go and say, oh, okay, let me look at one or two of their most popular episodes. Let me see what sort of comments there are on Twitter. Let me see what people are saying about the show, who their audience appears to be, and who they're speaking to as their audience on their website. This, in a sense, dives into positioning, but if I look at their site and they position themselves as, we're a podcast. Well, it's hard to know who they're trying to reach. But if they say, we're the podcast for freelancers looking to grow their business, well, hey, you off the bat know they're working to attract an audience of freelancers looking to grow their business. So you're able to pick topics that speak to that positioning. And then there's already this concept that I identify as resonance between the topic of the podcast, the type of people that the podcast attracts, and the pitches you're making available to the podcast. So you can maybe stray a little outside of the kind of bullseye center of the target of what might be interesting and still have a successful pitch, it sounds like. Absolutely. I definitely think you can. And I think that's where shows get interesting when they invite somebody on who might be a subject matter expert, but it's like one step removed from what they normally talk about. Just like on a show focused on developers, well, somebody who talks about work-life balance might not normally be somebody you'd think of being on a show for iOS developers or programmers, but can offer a really interesting opinion if they frame that pitch in a way that appeals to the audience. It's not like, why well, you need a work-life balance, but hey, why programmers need to make sure they're spending their off time on things that are fun and not just personal projects. And if you're in front of the computer for eight hours and then in front of the computer for eight hours doing your own projects, well, you're going to burn out. So how do you make sure you're making time and space for what you want to focus on? So I think you want to customize those pitches to be resonant with the audience, but you're starting from a point of understanding, well, this is what I could talk about. How do I tune it and make it right for each podcast I'm pitching? 
And just Real? to pile on there, having an iOS development podcast and having had shows on those particular topics, they go over really well. So, yeah, it doesn't have to be highly technical. It just has to be relevant to the audience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a hyper-tactical question. How do you find out what are the one or two most popular episodes? Is, is there some way to sort that in, say, iTunes, or is there some other way? iTunes has a rudimentary sorting functionality where uh-huh. you can sort by popularity. It, uh-huh. it doesn't give you, like, any hardcore metrics. It's just like, here's a bar graph, and this one's bigger <laughs> than the other ones. Okay. Yeah. What I found is using the tool BuzzSumo, it lets you find the most shared content. So you could go to BuzzSumo and drop in the podcast's root URL and it would be like, okay, hey, these are the three episodes that have the most social shares. And that could give you one signal. Another mm-hmm. one I like is looking at a backlink analyzer. And this is more of a search engine optimization tactic, but a tool like Majestic SEO or SEO Moz, you're able to put in your root URL and see, oh, These are the pages that get linked to the most, and that way you're able to say like, oh, hey, these two episodes have a ton of links to them. That must be the content that resonates the most with the audience. I've been trying to figure out a way to search through or scrape a site to figure out what posts or podcast episodes get the most comments. I haven't been able to find a tool that really simplifies that process yet, unfortunately. But I've even gone as far as emailing the podcast host and saying like, hey, I'm a new listener. You have a huge backlog. That's awesome what are your 10 most popular episodes? Which one should I start with? Sometimes the podcast hosts already have it up on a page. Occasionally I've emailed a podcast and they're like, oh, hey, let me run the analytics. And two days later I get an email back. Hey, here are the top 10 episodes by uh, listens. And well, then I'm able to see what topics or what concepts have resonated best with that audience and craft a pitch either for myself or for a client or for another podcast in that industry on those topics. Since chances are, if let's pick on the concept of an iPhone development focus show, topics that were really popular on show A most likely will be really popular on show B because it's a similar audience addressing similar problems in the market. So you could take similar topics from show to show within the same industry. Yeah, if you want them on any of the devchat.tv shows except for Web Security Warriors or React Native Radio, you just go to the page and there's a form that pops up that you can fill it in and get the top 10. Mm-hmm. And dirty, dirty secret, you actually get the top 20. But Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Double your value. That's right. Kai, are there markets that just don't listen to podcasts in your experience? I think there are. I focus primarily on the freelancer, the management, the consultant, and the entrepreneurship sort of circuits within the podcasting world. So most of my knowledge comes from outreach to those segments. So it does differ from industry to industry. I think the best way to analyze it is just by doing a couple quick Google searches or iTunes searches. I had a colleague who was like, I want to start a podcast that talks to construction workers. And I'm like, that's a cool idea. I have no clue if that's going to work or not. But before you launch the podcast, why don't we do a couple Google searches and see if we could find a couple podcasts that talk to that market and see if you could go on as, as a guest if you have enough interesting content to share as a guest and they want to hear you talk. And that way, when you go to launch a podcast, you'll already have validated, whoa, This is an industry where people are interested in it. This is an industry where people listen to the podcasts. This is an industry where I could go out and pitch a podcast or pitch a topic to a podcast. Yeah. One other thing that I know you can do is if you go into iTunes and you search for a keyword. Mm -hmm. Now, keep in mind that each market is segmented internationally. So if you're in Spain, you may want to switch over to the U.S. market somehow. But those podcasts 
if you do the search, like for Ruby, for example, you'll see that they're listed in, you know, seemingly random order. That order used to be at least based on the number of subscriptions ever through iTunes. Oh, wow. And so the top listed one may not be currently the most popular one, but at one point was. You know, so if you can pick, you know, the top 10 or top 15 shows there, um, and if they're still producing content, they probably have a decent-sized following for you to work off of. Entirely. Another tool that I highly recommend is cast.market. It's actually a marketplace for podcast hosts and advertisers to interact with each other and do business. But it's also a really, really nifty tool if you're looking to guest on podcasts to go on there, drop in a keyword, say Ruby or Ruby and guest. And they do a full text search of all the data they've scraped out of iTunes. And so a search for Ruby and guest will suddenly pull up a list of every podcast that's listed with the word Ruby in there or in the category relating to Ruby and development, but also contains the word guest. So you're able to winnow down the potential sample size to just podcasts that do accept guests and are in your target industry or target market. How big does a podcast need to be for it to be worth your while to talk to? I mean, you said before that small and medium ones, if they have a targeted audience, that might be great. But I assume that, as I was with everything on the internet, you're going to have this bell curve of a very small number are podcasts for tens of people, a very small number are for millions of people, and most are somewhere in the middle. But like, should you care if it's tens, hundreds, thousands? I personally preach that it doesn't matter if it's for tens, hundreds, or thousands, because if we think about it from the idea or the perspective of a buyer or a customer or somebody coming to your website, if you've been on, let's say, 50 podcasts and 40 of them have been smaller podcasts, well, that visitor isn't necessarily going to know that or note that. What they're going to see is, oh, hey, I'm frequently interviewed about my opinions on topic. Here's a long list of all the podcasts I've been on. And to that person browsing your website or that prospect for your business, they're going to be like, whoa, this person knows their stuff. They're an expert. They're frequently interviewed. And it doesn't matter if you were guest number two on your buddy's podcast as it was starting out or if you were guest number, you know, 400 on Entrepreneur on Fire. It all stacks together to be an impressive collection of podcasts. So I think there's a qualitative return there that might get glossed over if we focus just on the quantitative return. Qualitatively, it's impressive. It's like showing all the articles you've written or showing all the books you've written. Like, hey, I've been interviewed 50 times. People take notice of that. But in terms of quantitative results, I've appeared on smaller podcasts where I've only gotten a dozen or so subscribers off of the appearance. But those dozen subscribers are still engaged with the material I'm sharing. And I've been on larger podcasts where I've only gotten five or so subscribers because the material I was, I was sharing was really dialed in, but it just wasn't right for their audience. So even on a larger podcast, they might get a million listeners per episode, but maybe only a thousand of those people actually are people who would say, oh, I want to learn more and uh, subscribe to whatever it is you have available. So it's an interesting sort of calculus to figure out which ones to target. I recommend being more broad in the podcast you appear on than narrow, just because there are a lot of benefits for being able to say, hey, look, I've been on a number of podcasts. One other thing mm -hmm. I just want to put out there, there are two things. So at the last podcast movement, I was walking around, I was complaining about iFreaks because it doesn't have as many subscribers as any of the rest of the shows. And so some people were like, yeah, well, you know, if it's not even close, then maybe you should shut it down. And finally, somebody looked at me and asked the obvious question, well, how many listeners do you have? I mean, what's this number you're complaining about? 
and I told them that we, you know, we get like uh, 1,300 or 1,500 downloads per month, I think it was at the time. And everybody's eyes kind of popped out of their heads, right? Because mm-hmm. for them, for their audience, I mean, that was huge, okay? Most podcasts out there only get a few hundred subscribers at a time, ever. Mm-hmm. And so by keeping that in mind, just, you know, I mean, the A-list podcasts are the podcasts that have more than about 700 subscribers. I mean, that's the top 5%. Yep. And so, you know, just keeping that in mind and realizing you are only talking to a few hundred people at a time. But also keep in mind, just picture yourself. Picture a room with 500 people in it. I mean, that is a medium-sized conference keynote, okay? Mm -hmm. So if you can get on and talk to those 500 people, furthermore, you're on there with somebody who they see as somebody in authority who can back you up, who can promote your product, who can make you look good. I mean, you you can't buy that anywhere else. You just can't. And most of the time they're having you on because the value that you're giving them in your content is worth it to them just to give you their time. And Mm -hmm. so it's totally worth it. Uh, One other thing I want to just briefly mention is that in a lot of these cases, it's not the quantity of listeners. And I think Kai illustrated that pretty well. But I have another anecdotal point. I promised this person I wouldn't share his number, so I won't. Or at least I won't connect him with the numbers I'm going to share. But I know somebody who has, last time I talked to him, about 700 podcast subscribers. Now, if you listen to the show and if you're involved in the community, you would think that he had thousands of people. And the difference is, is that those 700 people are so highly engaged in what he has going on that he makes a living pretty much completely off of selling digital products to that seven group of 700 people. And so that's to say that, you know, you may have the John Lee Dumas and get on his show and you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of people hear your episode and download it and listen to it. But those people are so different and they're all engaged at different levels that it may be more effective for you to go on another specialized podcast that only has 700 highly, highly engaged people and have their host basically help you explain to these people why what you have solves their problem. Same thing with email lists. You know, having a big yep. email list means nothing if it's not a responsive list that response offers. I just couldn't help doing this. Kai, I went to cast.market mm-hmm. and I was, I was looking at my podcast, which is sort of in hiatus right now, and I'm I think the numbers as they get smaller mean you rank higher. Uh-huh. And so my podcast outranks Accenture's podcast on uh, management consulting services. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> to jump on to Chuck's point, the way I framed it to a couple people and I, the way I framed it in the podcast outreach book is like imagine a scenario where you're invited by your local chamber of commerce to give a presentation to 50 local business owners. That'd be pretty cool. Like most of us and probably most of the listeners would say like, oh, wow, that'd be a cool opportunity. I'd love to. And let's say you give the presentation. It goes well. You get a couple of people who are like, oh, I want to learn more about what you do. And you set up appointments. And then next week, that same or- local organization calls you up and is like, hey, we'd love to have you back. And you're like, but I just presented last week. And they're like, no, we have 50 new people for you to speak to. And you're like, well, OK, this is interesting. And you show up and it's 50 new people and it goes well. And then a third week comes by and they call you again and they're like, we want you to come back again. And they're like, but I've been there twice. And they're like, no, 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 no. We have another group of 50 people. And that's really what podcast guesting or a podcast tour is like. Week after week, you're able to show up and present to a new audience of 50, 500, 5,000 subscribers, 5,000 listeners and talk about, hey, this is, you know, what I could teach you. This is something interesting. This is something new for you to learn. 
And I mean, you're able to do it from your home. You're able to do it from anywhere in the world and reach these audiences. And it might mean like, okay, every two weeks, I'm going to do a podcast for a year and that gets you, you know, 25 podcasts, but you do the math there of 25 podcasts and let's say 500 listeners per podcast. Well, that's a decent size audience you've been able to reach. That's a large, large room over time that you've been able to speak to. And so by chaining these small to medium sized podcasts together, I think you're able to get a lot of benefit as a guest or as a presenter. I have one more kind of example here. I think it's pretty easy, let's say, if you're selling how to build a blog in Ruby or how to solve a particular testing problem in JavaScript. So if you've got that as a product or you've got that as a speaking point, you know, finding those audiences is pretty obvious, right? You go to the JavaScript podcast or the Ruby podcast, you figure out where you can guest, do all the things that we've just talked about, and you can get on. But... What if it's something else? What if it's something that's not so obvious? So, for example, I'm working on a product for how to find a programming job for new programmers. So I've been on the one podcast I know caters to new programmers. What do I do now? Well, I'd say, tell me more about the target market you're trying to reach. So it's usually people who have been programming for three to six months on their own, either after doing some self-learning on a website or through a program or a boot camp and they've just not been able to find that job that they thought they were going to be able to find when they got to a certain point. And mm -hmm. so the problem that it solves is it tells them how to use unconventional methods to get noticed, how to get through the interview, and then how to negotiate a salary. Mm -hmm. What I'd recommend is, well, first off, searching around and seeing what podcasts there are that appeal to either a specific programming language or programmers overall as sort of a market group and approach them and say, well, what percentage of your audience is, you know, new programmers, if you know that, and would, you know, teaching them how to get their first programming job or get a better job be something that's interesting. There's tactics here that will apply to the people three to six months out of a training course. There's tactics here that will apply to people who are looking to leave their current job and get a new job. I'd love to teach something related to this. What would be most interesting to your audience? And, uh, approaching it that way, another way I might recommend is looking at career focused podcasts and saying, well, hey, you're teaching people how to get jobs. What percentage of your audience is in the development or programming space? And would it be interesting to hear somebody talk about tactics and strategies and unconventional systems from this angle? Would they enjoy learning about it from that approach? Yeah, that makes sense. The other thing is, is, and I think this goes back to the point you made earlier, it's okay for me to go and reach out to a lot of these podcasts, recognizing that several of them may say no, because it isn't in line with what they're trying to do with their message. Mm -hmm. Whenever I send a podcast outreach email, there's three possible outcomes that could happen. They respond back and say yes, and woohoo, we've got a booking. They respond back and say no, in which case, okay, great, the door's closed, or they don't respond back at all. In a sense, that third category is the biggest opportunity because you could follow up and you know send a follow-up email and say, oh, hey, I was recently on another podcast. I'd love to be on yours, share more value with them. But it's also the most disheartening because you aren't able to close that door and that opportunity yet. So I used to be sad when I'd get a no back from a podcast. But now it's actually exciting because I realize, oh, okay, great. I wasn't a fit. They were upfront enough to communicate it to me. I'll just set them aside. Maybe I'll follow up in six or so months. But I at least know, hey, this is not the best fit for me. I'll uh, uh, pitch another podcast and see what direction it goes. So, Kai, to get something out of being on a podcast, do you have to have some kind of offer? Do you get a sense of what I'm saying? Do you, do you have to fit into some kind of bucket in terms of what you ultimately sell people? 
That's a good question. So I think to get something out of a podcast, you want to have a low friction, low barrier offer that's valuable to the listener to make available to them. So off of a podcast appearance, it's hard to, um, let's say, immediately sell a book. Like I have my book, Podcast Outreach, but if I was to say go to podcastoutreach.com and buy it, people would be like, oh yeah, that's interesting. I don't know you well enough yet. Thank you so much. But what I find is more valuable is to have a low friction example. And I think you actually have one of the perfect examples of this. You have your uh, landing page positioningcrashcourse.com. And I cite that frequently as a wonderful example as uh, of a landing page to direct podcast listeners to. So they're able to sign up in a low risk way for something that doesn't appear to be positioned as work for them. And that could slowly educate them about why they need to buy your book, the positioning manual and move them down that funnel. So in a way, I think we start from the idea of the topic we want to be on the podcast about. We pitch, we're accepted, we talk about that topic. And then we want to have that call to action at the end of the episode where we're directing the listener to a landing page or a resource, a cheat sheet or a worksheet or, you know, a five-part lesson that will teach them more about uh, the subject matter at hand. And by framing it as something that's not a lot of work, we don't want to say, download my 200-page ebook. We want to say, get my free five-part course or get my one-page cheat sheet on this topic it's easy for people to be like, ah, oh, I enjoyed listening to that topic. The guest was great. Uh, sure, I'll give my email address for that thing. And now you as the guest, as the presenter, have that person's email address. They're now part of your audience, and you're able to politely and persistently educate them about your subject matter and move them closer towards that point of purchase. So the podcast brings them in as a warm referral. And maybe some of those folks will say like, oh, gee, I'm ready to buy right now. But I think a majority of the folks listening are more likely to say, oh, I'm not ready to buy, but I'm ready to learn more. What can you teach me? And by having some educational marketing set up, a landing page that says, hey, drop your email into the dingus and you'll get a free, you know, five part thing on whatever, that will convert better than just a sales page where it's buy my thing. It's $49. And or, or even I'd say like several times I've been on podcasts. I say, it's so obvious now, like when you say these things, it's sort of like, you know, uh, the, the whole positioning thing with a website. If on your website you say, I do this and this and this and this and this and this and this, people are not sure where to start. And so I've done that on podcasts. I go on and I say, well, you can find me here and you can find me here and you can find me here and you can find, oh, and if you're interested, I have these email courses. When it would be so much smarter and better for me just to say, if you like what I'm talking about, go to, you know, some really easy to remember URL and there I'll give you more information. And then that can feed into other stuff. And I know also where they've come from. I know they came from that podcast. I know they're interested in a certain subject. And so I can, I can treat it accordingly. Absolutely. All I heard was that uh, Philip's conversion rates would be higher if you weren't helping people, Kai. <laughs> I'm sending tons of terrible traffic your way. I'm so sorry. I'm yeah. so, so sorry. Do you have off the top of your head any sort of gold standard examples like go to this podcast and listen to this person's appearance there just so people can kind of get a sense of how this actually works? That's a great question. I don't. And that's yeah. something I should pull together. Yeah, maybe that's like a show notes, late breaking edition or something. I know I would benefit from seeing like, here's two or three really good examples of, of how to pull this off. I, I actually just remembered, I mentioned a couple in the book, and there's one I could share on the air. Uh, Ramit Sethi was on Patrick McKenzie's Calzumius podcast a few years ago. And he did, I think, the best example of what I call a contextual call to action 
during the episode that I've ever seen. So he had a URL set up for listeners of that episode. And in the middle of the episode, he was like, by the way, if you want to learn a little more about negotiation, the episode topic was about negotiation and salary. You could just go to this URL. And by the way, to answer Patrick's question, and he just dropped it and went on. And at the end of the episode, he said, by the way, I put together a few bonuses and resources for listeners. And again, share that URL. And I've talked with his marketing director, and they're able to track down to the individual subscriber how many people came through that individual podcast episode. And I think that's a perfect example. And I'll find the link to that episode and drop it in here for the show notes of how somebody could use a landing page like that to drive people to an educational resource, share that educational resource during the episode. And then on the back end, be able to track like, oh, wow, we got 50 subscribers through that appearance, or we got 500 subscribers through that appearance. I've taken the lazy man's approach to that because I have, whenever I appear on a podcast as a guest, generally I have one call to action that I reuse across multiple podcasts. And so unless analytics shows me the referrer because it came through podcast show notes, I lack that level of insight. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I miss that a little bit. So it's a bit of a bit of a trade-off, isn't it? It really is. It really is. And I, I talk about the two different methods we could, that we're discussing here in the book podcast outreach, where you could either have what I call a single serving site where you set up the page and it's unique to that podcast appearance, where it's like if I had a page for the freelancer show where it'd be like, go to this URL, it's specific to the freelancer show. And I'm able to see like, oh, I know exactly how many people came to that page and opted in. It's a lot of work to set up if you're guesting on a lot of podcasts. And so I've moved more towards having a single page set up or a series of pages and just sharing one of them as the call to action on the show. So for example, uh, it's not the ideal resource for this audience or this topic, but just to illustrate, I have the URL clientintakecheatsheet.com. And then whenever I go on a show to talk about, hey, why you as a freelancer need a better client intake process and how you need to kick out your headache clients, my call to action when they're, when somebody says, oh, where could we find more out about you? I say, go to clientintakecheatsheet.com and download, you know, this collection of resources and cheat sheets and the exact scripts I use. And it's become a lot easier for me to know if I'm talking about this topic, I'm going to share this URL and just move people forward down that pathway. Okay. I'm going to jump in here. Uh, We're running out of time and I do want to get to one more thing. And that is uh, you've talked about, you know, doing the call to action, but are there other specific things that you should or shouldn't do in a podcast? For example, you know, don't be condescending or insulting to the host or the audience or... (laughs) You know, I mean, that seems pretty obvious, but, you know, are there things that people don't think of that they may or may not do that are going to help or hurt them? I think in terms, there's two areas. So in terms of preparation, people don't think about the topics or the pitch points they want to have for the episode or for the show. And it's very valuable. What I advocate is just take a three by five note card and write down the five major things you want to touch on. Maybe you offer a coaching program. And so you want to reference that. Maybe you have a new product. So you want to reference that. But by just making note ahead of time of these are the five major things I want to touch on. Okay, you're able to have that by your side. You don't have to mess around with the computer. You can just scratch them off as you go through them and make sure you hit all of your relevant points. I think there's a lot of things people miss on the back end of the show. What I like doing is after an episode, I'll just ask the host, hey, tell me a bit more about your ideal guest. I'd love to refer somebody to you if they'd be a fit. And often the the host will say like, oh, yeah, my ideal guest is A, B, and C, and they do this or that. And I'm like, perfect. I'll, I can think of a couple people. I'll email them over to you. By the way, can you think of any shows I'd be a good match for? And so – Oh, we're taking, that's so good. 
we're taking like advantage. That. Yeah, it's this oh, idea. The, of the first part was so good. Being a podcast host, <laughs> please, if you guest on any of the shows, who's your ideal person and who can I recommend? <laughs> I mean, it's so helpful. And the thing is, is like nobody does that. Nobody does that. And so if somebody comes and says, hey, you know, how can I help you in the future? Who's your ideal guest? You know, can I introduce you to somebody? You know, maybe I know somebody, anything like that. I mean, you can bet that I'd be happy to bring him back. I'd recommend him to my friends. Oh my gosh, this guy was so awesome. We got to be friends. We feel, I feel like, you know, he's really interested in helping me out. It wasn't just a publicity stunt for him or his company. I mean, that's huge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And right in line with that, what I often do is I'll follow up one or two days later after the podcast, and I'll send him a screenshot of the review I left in iTunes, and I'll, I'll leave an honest and heartfelt review and be like, hey, you know, I appeared on a, a, the podcast as a guest, or I'm a frequent listener, and I really, really love this. It's a good podcast, and you should listen to it. And that, I think, serves as another opportunity to be like, hey, I really appreciated coming on the show. Here's a screenshot of the review I just left. And then again, you're able to have that conversation about, well, who would be a good guest for me to refer your way? And can you think of any podcast that I'd be a good match for that you could refer my way? And that's an area that I don't see a lot of people really practicing that I think benefits everybody. What, you think podcasters talk to each other? I I hope they do. (laughs) I I will tell you that, yes, yes, we do. Oh, oh God, that's either good or bad. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, there's, I think there's a lot of optimizations there in terms of the front end and the back end. And even just reaching out to friends and colleagues, if you're trying to get your, your feet wet with podcasting and saying, Hey, what podcasts do you listen to? Or do you know anybody starting a podcast? Often that first podcast is the hardest one to land because, well, you're showing up and you might not have a lot of clout or a lot of credibility. And so if you could guest on a friend's or a series of friend's podcasts as the first few guests, well, suddenly you're able to say, oh, hey, I've been interviewed before. Here's a few episodes. You could check it out. These are the topics we talked about. And that lends some credibility to it. But it really starts from that point of just reaching out to friends and colleagues and saying, well, do you know of any podcasts I'd be a good fit for? All right. We've been doing this for almost an hour. Any other questions, thoughts? Did we miss anything, Kai? I think I think we covered it. Just a small plug. I wrote a book about this. I just spoke at MicroConf about podcast outreach and podcast tours. If anyone in the audience is interested, you can visit podcastoutreach.com and check that out. Download a sample chapter and a few sample interviews and learn a little more about the systems and strategies I uh, recommend. I also have a discount for listeners of The Freelancers Show. If you use the discount code Freelancers Show, you'll get 50% off any one of the packages, the basic, the complete, and the complete plus coaching. Awesome. I also want to point out that, uh, you know, I already knew Kai when I went to MicroConf, but I mean, this episode just came out of showing up at a conference and chatting with each other. Mm-hmm. We pretty much decided to do this. I think it was at lunch right before you did the attendee talk about it. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember we were sitting there just chatting about podcast stuff and the idea of doing an episode came out of it. Yep. So, I mean, you never know. And conferences are another great place to do this kind of networking. So mm-hmm. just keep that in mind. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Reuven, do you have some picks for us? Yeah. So as everyone uh, here knows, well, I guess I'll have two picks, actually. So first of all, uh, for those of you who haven't heard, uh, Brennan Dunn's uh, Double Your Freelancing Conference is coming to Europe. It's going to be in Stockholm at the end of June, and it should be fun and amazing and interesting. And I just heard in the last day or two, I'm going to be speaking there, which makes it more fun for me. 
So I would love to see a lot of people there, a lot of listeners there. Kai will be there, which will be fun. The other thing is, so I do a lot of teaching, and one of the fun things I have to do, excuses I make for fun things that I do during my courses are when I teach Python programming, I show a few Monty Python bits, which is good if they have a good sense of humor and bad if they don't, but too bad I'm in charge. In any event, some places where I teach, they don't have speakers set up. And so just like two weeks ago, someone in my class said, oh, that's okay, and pulled out a portable USB speaker from their bag. I was like, oh my God, I got to get one of these. So I actually did. And it's this uh, relatively small speaker that you can plug into your computer. Actually, the one that I got isn't USB-based. It um, works on Bluetooth. And I have been really, really impressed just the last few days since I got it. And this is exactly what I need, uh, not only for showing Monty Python videos during my courses, but also for doing presumably more serious things. And it means I'm not beholden to whatever uh, sound system is in the lecture hall where I'm working. So I'm really excited to have gotten this. And it was not too expensive. I think it's like $60 or so. And I uh, definitely recommend for people who want to show things, listen to things, to have this in your bag of tricks, as it were, when you go to talk. That's it. All right. Philip, what are your picks? I have a pick. I have continued to enjoy a nice uh, planned break from client work and been building stuff for people that can do more of a one-to-many helping out rather than one-to-one like I do with client work. And one of the things that always comes up is people are like, how do I create a website that helps me take my fairly focused freelance business and get more leads? And I inevitably say, no, 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 don't talk about yourself so much. Talk about your client's problems more no, 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 don't have an about page. That's stupid. That's just an invitation for you to alienate your clients. And so I kind of packaged up all these best practices into a website template that you can download for yourself at onepageleadgen.site. So the URL, it's, it's the number one, not O-N-E, onepageleadgen.site. And it's my free gift to people who uh, when they sit down and think about writing a website for themselves, say, this is hard. I don't know what to write. I'm getting writer's block. So I think I'll just talk about how I got interested in software development when I was 13 and got the Apple II computer and blah, blah, blah. So this might be a better alternative for you <laughs> if, if you're in that place. That's my pick for this week. Very cool. One thing that I'm going to just mention really quickly, we are looking at bringing on another panelist or two. And one of the things that we've talked about, and I'm just going to go ahead and pull the trigger on this because I can. If you are a new or struggling freelancer, so you don't have to be new if you're, you know, if you're really struggling, we are looking for people to bring on the show that we can help and talk through scenarios with. And so if you're interested in doing that, go ahead and put together a YouTube video. I will put up a webpage at freelancershow.com slash struggling. And there will be guidelines there as far as, you know, what to put in there that will help us out. Um, I'll try and get it up when this goes live. And it should be two weeks from today as we record it. But anyway, if you put those links up, then we're going to go through them. And uh, we'll start picking the ones that we want to bring on the show and start talking to. So we may bring you on for one, two, or maybe even a few more, depending on what there is to talk about and how we think we can help you. But it is something that we would like to be able to do as part of the show. One other thing that I want to bring up is that we're going to start doing the Q&As again. Those are live, uh, usually on Crowdcast. Uh, I'm going to do better letting people know when those are. If you want to know when they are, just go to freelancershow.com. At the top of the page, there is an email a subscribe form that will get you the emails for the episodes every week. And uh, that's also where we'll put the announcements out so that you can start sending us questions and things like that. So anyway, if you have any of that, then uh, go ahead and do that. And finally, this is going to be kind of a weird meta pick, 
but uh, one of the things that I got a lot of value out of at MicroConf was talking to Kai. And mainly, besides him being fun to talk to, he does a lot of work setting up systems for podcasts for other podcasters. And he actually walked me through his setup. And I just want to kind of publicly thank Kai for helping me out. I am very close to implementing all of that stuff on my own so that I can start having a little more visibility and control as far as the show's production and things like that, so that I don't have to spend as much time or waste as much time trying to figure out what's going on, and I can just at a glance know where things are. Well, thank you so much. I'm uh, happy it was helpful uh, uh, to share that system. Thank yeah, you. very helpful. Kai, do you have some picks for us? I do. I have uh, three picks. The first is a plug for my own thing. Uh, if you go to freeoutreachcourse.com, it's a free five-day course I put together on doing effective outreach to get on podcasts or build relationships. So that will teach you the basics of outreach and uh, put you in a good position to start building and managing new relationships. The second thing I want to plug, my colleague Nick DeSabato just started a new weekly newsletter on best practices in A-B testing. And you could find that at draft.nu slash revise slash weekly. It's wonderful. Uh, it's in the first weeks right now. And I am very excited that I got to be subscriber number one. So I wanted to plug that. And uh, in the same vein, my colleague Moishka Mars just released a weekly video course on how to master Facebook marketing. And uh, uh, the URL for that is a bit long, so we'll just drop that into show notes. But uh, I'd recommend freeoutreachcourse.com for anybody who's looking to master the basics of outreach. And uh, Nick and Moishka's paid newsletters for anybody who's looking to get better at A-B testing or Facebook marketing. I have almost bought her course like three times, but I've promised myself I'm not going to buy anything else until I'm actually ready to use it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I don't mm -hmm. have time right now. <laughs> It'll be there when you're ready. I'm sure it will be. All right, Kai, if people want to know more about you, find out what you're up to, that kind of stuff, what do they do? Best spot to go would be freeoutreachcourse.com and drop your email in there. Alternatively, you could check out doubleyouraudience.com and uh, say howdy to me through the uh, contact pages on that site. All right, cool. We'll go ahead and wrap this show up. Thanks again for coming, and we'll catch you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.